This is TV8 My Dinner, a podcast about entertainment issues brought to you by DarkCrazy.com. It's this family, the Kavanaugh's, Anne and William. They're eating dinner and they just finish. And their maid comes in and she clears the plates. And they have two children, Betsy and Timmy. And Anne suggests that they all go into the drawing room, where Anne then braids Betsy's beautiful blonde hair. The husband, he plays chess with Timmy. And then the maid comes in with strawberries and whipped cream, and they all eat a nice dessert. And that's the act. What, what would you call an act like that? The sucking motherfuckers. <laughs> You're listening to TV8 My Dinner. My name is Sean, and I am sitting here with Brooks and Greg. What is going on, everyone? Hey, hey. How hangs it? Waka, waka, waka! (laughs) Yeah! Why did the salad get embarrassed? No, I messed up that joke. Yeah, because it's all the salad dressing. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Why is the tomato red? Off to the... That's a good one. Is that the real joke? Yeah. Why is the tomato red? Because it saw the salad dressing. That is clever. (laughs) It's a good thing you were here. I didn't even know the joke. Are you you messing with me? (laughs) (laughs) Are you playing? Sometimes I can't tell if you're genuinely confused or if you're trying to make me look confused. My material is 100% original. I don't know all these old jokes. That's true. I... Even if I did know that joke, I wouldn't say it because I only keep it real. That was good, though. You did. You came in with the save, and that really brought it home. That was all vaudeville. I was I was appreciative of that. <laughs> we need that little guy on Family Guy that plays the piano at the end of the joke. <laughs> I'll tell you what's dead. Vaudeville's dead. That's what. <laughs> and talkies are what killed it. Play me out, Johnny. That's what we need. Oh, Nothing like man. punctuates a good joke more than a little tinkling piano or that that little what do they call the drum the drum roll that they do the a drum roll what is that called oh a rim, rim shot. shot that's what you're talking about either that or the laugh yeah you know? the, it's yeah. good to well I never it's get it's good that. to let people know that, that I laugh. like it when people tell me when I'm supposed to laugh at things <laughs> it's more comfortable for me so you yeah, guys yeah we're wanna... talking about jokes tonight in case something in case you, you will not find often on our show jokes yeah, exactly. Humor. We're actually telling real jokes. It's a it's a stretch for us, a show about humor. I have a related Our thing. Our comedy I wanna, show I about humor. Mention before we get into it, talking about humor. Absolutely. And, uh, Please, I got a, yes. a bone to pick with you guys a little bit. Woo! Yeah, that's right. I'm drawing a line right here in the oh, sand. Oh, it's happening. Oh, here we go. Oh. Well, this is a joke then. Pick your bone. Oh. We'll step up. I've got... The uh, Netflix streaming through my Xbox now, right? So I can watch lots of things without having to wait for them to get in the mail. So it's really opened up a whole new world of just watching garbage. I've watched so many like cheesy, horrible movies. Like you would, Let me go ahead and say, worst movie I've ever seen, I think, Blood Rain 2. Don't do it. I haven't seen it. Oh, my the God. First film, the first film said it all. Now, the first film is leagues better than the second film. And it's that same director wow. guy that we're always talking about. That Udo. Look, is it Uva Bowl? Yeah, is that, that his name? It, it is, Man. It, it's embarrassing. Wanna... Let me tell you just the basic plot of this. Blood Rain is now in the Old West, where she's hunting Billy the Kid, oh, who is a this vampire. Was... <laughs> this isn't Uva's fault. This movie was like a direct-to-sci-fi movie. It doesn't even star the same chick from the first film. That's not the same girl? I thought I, I wasn't sure because no. I hadn't seen the this first is, one. In so this long. is the girl from well, she's from a lot of crappy vampire movies and also one crappy werewolf movie. Well, it was a pretty girl. It wasn't the girl's fault. Oh, she's hot. It was <laughs> the, uh, the horrendous, horrendous she's writing hot. and direction. It's the crappy dialogue matched with her inability to get naked, which is what makes the film so frustrating. I also saw that that zombie movie that had the Mena Savari. Is that how you say her name? It was all right. Didn't you see oh, that Oh, you're one? talking about the Day of the Dead. Yeah, one of the many Day of it's the Dead. It's okay. It's definitely watchable. I thought it was cool how the zombies crawled around on the ceilings and stuff. That was kind of neat. They had a lot of out-of-control blood and gore in the movie, which I appreciate. Yeah. I liked how there was the one scene so, where these zombies... But it, are... it did have Nick Cannon, which is a little <laughs> difficult to get through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when he's trying to act all tough and cool. Yeah. Who dubbed him cool? I'm not a hater. I'm really not. 
But I'm just saying. Well, like, when did the word come out? I don't that understand Nick when you, it was cool. Well, you get the guys that are kind of known for their comedy, and you try to make them all serious. It doesn't but always see, play that way. But see, is Nick Cannon? And I'm seriously not trying to to hate here, but is Nick Cannon known for his comedy? Well, more so, I think, than he Has is. Has he his... cut his teeth in comedy? Not that he's not funny. I'm not saying he's not talented. What I'm saying is, where is the project where he cut his teeth? I don't know, man. I Love just remember don't cost on um, a thing? Dave Chappelle's show when he had his, his son in the sketch. Well, going, that's what Chappelle made. That's what brought it home. <laughs> Chappelle, Nick Cannon, he's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, like, Nick Cannon, really? At any rate, that that's movie was okay. But one here's what the bone is that I have to pick, which is kind of a weird way of saying bone to pick. But um, Melissa likes to crochet, and so she's got TV shows playing. And while I'm working on songs and stuff, I'm listening and watching these TV shows, a lot of CSIs and stuff. And we started watching that show, 30 Rock. And I think it's a good show. I don't know why you guys were dissing on it so hard. I think it's funny. I don't I think, think it's I dissed interesting. on it hard. You guys Did said it was it horrible. I can go find it. Yes, the words literally horrible. No, I said that I didn't find it funny. I literally have only watched the show like once or twice. I didn't find it funny, and I have said on the show before it was not specifically towards Thirty Rock that I got mad. It was the fact that Thirty Rock came out the same year as Studio Sixty, and Thirty Rock was the show about skit comedy, about sketch comedy that survived and is so lauded by critics. And Studio Sixty disappeared. When it was a, a much more sophisticated show. Well, I'm now have... I will say that when I watched Thirty Rock, I didn't enjoy it. I have said that, but I never—I don't believe I said oh, it was horrible. I, I specifically remember. Of course, I don't remember which episode, but I remember you going. Was it and me? that Thirty Rock show is on, and it no. is horrible. I remember that. Did well, I say it, that? Well, I, I probably that? did say that it was. Well, I, if I if I said that, I w- I was wrong to say that because I haven't watched it enough to make that judgment. We need um one of our dedicated fans that has re-listened to some of our episodes to tell us which one. Well, I I was wrong to say it too because uh, I have I, uh, I think the first I've, season maybe was a little rough and 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 they've honed uh, it out a little bit and I think it's I think it's doing better. Matter of fact, I've watched several episodes of this season uh, last week. And uh, I thought it was pretty decent. It's not my favorite show still, but it's it's a it's a decent no, show. No, I don't I don't enjoy it. I I don't believe or should not have gone so far as to say it was horrible. I like the people involved in that show, but I can say honestly that I have watched the show more than once and did not enjoy it. I didn't think it was funny at all. I like the I surreal didn't say I didn't nature think it was funny of it. At all. I like that. It kind seems of- like a of some. A waste of resources for all the funny people that are attached Perhaps. to Perhaps. I mean, you could always argue that those people are capable of better, but to me, it's entertaining, and it's got lots of good one-liners. I didn't one-liners. find it to be. Especially I didn't, I Alec didn't mean Baldwin. To, I, didn't, I, don't, I didn't want to get into I I'm trying to be a more positive person. I love Alec Baldwin's character in that. He's To me, he's really Yeah, Yeah, well, it's funny because of Alec Baldwin. And, you know, Tina Fey yeah, has her he, moments, he but Alec Baldwin the is the funny But, part. you know, even... Um, Tracy Lawrence, Tracy Morgan's name. Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan. Is who you're what am I thinking? About. I love Tracy well, see, Morgan. I've I'm always the opposite. said he was I've never liked him. Greg, you guys are the haters on Tracy Morgan. I've always said he was. He's funny. never really done much for me, but I think he's funny in this show. Like this show, to me, has shown a side of him that I, I guess, a talent that I didn't see in him before. So. Oh, I see. So, really, you're calling yourself out. I, as I still don't. No, I'm just saying I never appreciated him before. part in the show. But, um, but, uh, no, I I actually feel an episode coming, and I and I've discussed it with you guys, where we take an earnest second glance at things that we were critical of, not necessarily to backpedal, but you know. Just to, to make sure that we're giving them their well, due. Well, I think you should add 30 Rock to your list. I think you should watch will, a few I more episodes. Netflix, I will Netflix all oh, 30 Rock if it I, makes you happy. But I don't think I'll change my mind, and then where will we be? Stop comparing it to Studio 60, first of all. Just because I didn't, I know, I know. I'm not anymore, I mean, but I'm head. just saying that year, it, it stuck in my craw that year because I knew in two shows about a, a successful sketch comedy show came out, two shows that were essentially lampooning. Saturday Night Live came out. I knew only one of them could survive. Well, that is I true. That, the, and the one that I kind of got the impression that that 
might be one of the reasons why I was dogging because I 30 Rock as well. that Studio yeah. 60 was more relevant. And I'm not blaming 30 Rock for not being relevant. I never did. But I'm saying that for the funny people who were involved in that show, when I watched it, I didn't find it to be funny. And that's the only that's the only criterion that I used. Ooh, speaking of criterion, I'm glad I used that word. <laughs> Greg knows this because we were in the store at the same time. Did you realize that Armageddon is part of the Criterion collection? <laughs> that is weird. And so is The Rock. <laughs> Have DVD releases in the Criterion collection. Well, all right then. Wow. Bottle Rockets I'm not, getting the I'm Criterion I'm not a Michael treatment. Bay hater Did at all. I will say that I love almost all of his movies, and The Rock is one of my favorites. But the Criterion Collection? Did you see that Bottle Rocket's getting a Criterion DVD? Yeah, and it looks like a Criterion, and it and it, it makes the grade. And it, but Armageddon? <laughs> Michael Bay movies don't belong in the Criterion <laughs> that is Collection. Hey, there, there's probably a lot works. of people that think Michael Bay is one of the greatest directors around. I'm not one of them. But. Look, Michael Bay has made a ton of films that I find deeply entertaining. That That's no problem with me. I say that... I say that Completely straight-faced. I love Armageddon. I love The Rock. I love Transformers. I didn't like Transformers. But does Transformers belong in the Criterion Collection? <laughs> I always thought the Criterion no, Collection was sort of, kind for, of movie. for the things that are hard to find, and they're just giving it a, the treatment or the, it deserves. that have some kind of independent yeah. value as, as films. Michael Bay is an accomplished director for making mainstream, you know, the Rock films. is not hard to find as a movie. The Rock, and yeah. is there really some kind of director's cut in the Criterion Collection version of The Rock that we're missing? Well, I'm not, and I'm serious. I'm not saying anything against that as a movie. I love well, that movie. Don't get me started I'm on just saying cuts I thought anyway. Criterion I was, that's, you know, that that's the best version of the movie. I think these days DVDs, I think, have ruined director's cuts, and and we've talked about those. Oh, I was trying to say how I wasn't hating, and then, and then wow. Well, I think it's awesome that the but rock Lynn's has a on me because I told Lynn. DVD. I told Lynn that I was trying to be more positive, and she got all over me because she did. She thought the world needs more cynics, and she didn't want us to lose. <laughs> I that could age. not agree less. <laughs> I think the world has plenty. Well, of cynics. I have to say, I told her, and and I'll tell you that my desire to be more positive is in no way my desire to be less of a cynic. I don't think that there's any I don't think there's any kind of relationship there at all. I think cynics are positive. I think critics are well, positive it can, because it can be, they find you, where they think you should be better and they well, point not it all out. Critics do What's that. more positive than that? No, but the good ones Well do. so there is a distinction. Now, some people So but but I'm saying some people are critical because they want to be mean. But I think the heart of a critic and the heart of a cynic is to point out where the world does not live up to its potential. I think that's positive. I think you should do that. What I think you should ask yourself when you're being critical is are you trying to make something better or are you just languishing and celebrating You know what, what makes it bad? Because it's not hard to point out what's wrong with something. But it is hard to find what's good about it and sort of encourage that. And I think cynics can do that, and I think critics can do it. I just want to be more positive in that where I'm critical, I want to be sort of downplaying what I think didn't work in something while you know, bringing up what I think did. And then I think that is what makes a, a critic work. And I don't think that's not cynical, and I don't think that's losing the edge. I think that's exactly where cynicism should be directed. Because a cynic knows exactly how good the world can be. That's why he thinks it's so stupid. Yeah, well, you know, that's all opinion, too, though. There are lots of things that other people enjoy that I don't enjoy, and it's not my sure. right to say this could be sure. better because I feel that different things are good than what you think are good. Well, it's your right to say it could be better. What you don't have the right to do is say that something is definitively Everything not. Everything could be better, though. But I mean, as as a matter of opinion, if you're uh, if you're offering criticism, all you're trying to do is say what, in your opinion, could make something better. And I don't think that's a negative. Well, what you thing. should add is what could but make I something think that's better what you in should your be... opinion. That's what I'm saying. 
Well, no, in, you know where I disagree with you on this? Because I've had this direct argument with people. People are always like, well, that's just your opinion. It's like, of course it's my opinion. I'm the one that said it. You think I would have said something that wasn't my opinion? Now, I don't think we should live in a world where I have to say in my opinion. No, because if I'm I just said is, it out loud to when you, you say whose else's better, opinion would it be? You have to specify, at least in your own mind, that what you think is better might be worse for someone else. Your improvements but you might be. You should assume when I say, when I say this could be better. You have to assume. I mean, in my opinion, because I don't have some objective line on what's good and bad. If I say, oh, you know, we make that better, then it, it's inherent that it is my, in my opinion. Because unless you're admitting that somehow I am some kind of quantitative expert on good and bad, then of course what I'm stating is my opinion. You mean you're not. But if we. Sp- if we spend too much time qualifying what we say with "in my opinion" or "or I, I could be wrong," you or you know, even, even on the show saying. we do that, like we say, "Oh, I don't want to be a hater because we're afraid that people will hear us and get mad because they think we're saying our opinion is the only one." I'm not saying my opinion is the only one. I'm just saying this is the one that I support and endorse because it's mine. <laughs> if it were someone else's, how sad a person would I be? That I'm advocating only someone else's point of view. But I think you should be strong in in the statement of your opinions. I think we're getting afraid to express ourselves. But I do agree, you know, all this stuff like seeing the Muppets and reading about Jim Henson has got me really wanting to be a positive person and a positive influence on people. And I don't want to just say things that are just to tear things down. I don't want to express my opinions just to sort of take away from what other people do. I want to, I want to try to express opinions that that bring people up and and encourage the good things that in their work. Yeah, well, I think <clears throat> the Thirty Rock example is a good example then, because like we we have not, no, not spoken that, that's anything. Us positively about that show i don't know exactly what we said but i'm pretty sure we haven't talked about it that every time we have talked about it it's only been in reference in relation to studio 60 which you guys do enjoy well that's why it's gotten so badly i'm just saying and then when i watched the show i i was pleasantly surprised by how much i enjoyed it so i think that we should if if we're going to try to be positive we should mainly just not talk about things that we haven't given its full due review we haven't watched enough of it I'll get. I'll allow the context that I, in which I spoke about that show, did relate to another show. But I did watch it. When I said I didn't like it, I didn't just decide that overnight. I did. Well, see and I did too. That's why I was saying. I think did, the first season episodes were a little raw. I mean, but I think, uh, well, not raw. Just no, rough. Which is true but of I think, almost any show, though. Well, well, I mean, that, <laughs> you watch the first season of any sitcom, and it's it's going to be. They haven't worked out all the the characters yet, you know. Well, everybody loves that show. So if you know, if I'm wrong, well, I mean, you, you can. Know, pro- I can tell now. The, from, all the rest from of you are right. That's, to that's now, fine. There's been pretty significant rewrites. I mean, some new character development, and things like that. So, and they have improved the show. And I mean, it, it's it's a good show now. I mean, it's it's still not my favorite, but I'm. Uh, but yeah, maybe I did dog it pretty hard because I was so, you know, behind Studio right. Sixty, and it was just. There's just such a smart show that that and I'm like Sean, you know, we they had two shows that year, you know, based around the a sketch comedy show, and I, and the one that I thought was the better show didn't survive, and that, yeah, yeah, I'll allow. I mean, I never, I don't believe. I if I ever said Thirty Rock is I horrible, then I'm sorry. I don't. I I never meant to say that. Because certainly a lot of people like it, and I wouldn't take away from it just because a lot of people like it. But I cert- I didn't. It didn't grab me, and I did try, and I like all the people involved with it. So I don't. I don't want to dwell on something that that I don't have a good opinion of. But that that's that basically is it. So I've been reading Born Standing Up, which is the Steve Martin was he actually memoir? born standing up? That's amazing. Yeah, he was he was what no wonder he's got gray hair. He was standing on his mother's uterus. He was one of those dudes uterus. that had gray hair when he looked like he was nineteen. 
he has had gray hair for a long time. It's kind of made him work. It's worked for him because now he's got to be and he doesn't look 70, any older than he did. But when he, he doesn't was look seventy at all. He just has white hair. Yeah. So that's really it's been a good trade off for him. Better than a lot of those politicians that are book, obviously in their seventies, but they still have jet black hair and it, it doesn't not yeah. work. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. This book is a memoir that he wrote about his early days doing stand up when he first started getting into comedy, and it's it's very fascinating, and I and I enjoyed it a great deal. Because you may not know this, but Steve Martin is is one of my heroes. Well, it's a good hero to have. I heard him talking about that book on Fresh Air. It's pretty interesting, talking about his. Uh, it's a great book. I I could not recommend it more. It's yeah, very it heartfelt, like very cool. cool so tell us about it. Well, if you're a fan of Steve Martin, especially, but I mean the fact that if you're a fan of stand-up and 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 just comedy, as as a, stu- a student of comedy, it's it's interesting because there was no real stand-up back when he got started. The kind of the idea that people were stand-up comedians for a living it just didn't exist. So to hear him tell his stories about getting started doing that, you know, and it all goes back to his, him wanting to be a magician in his early days and learning to play the banjo. And I don't know. It seems like there was sort of a, an era of just the straight performer and you knew how to do all kinds of things. You were a musician or a comedian or a magician or whatever, just to get out on stage. It sort of, it it sort of reminds me of that whole, that whole vaudeville era and we don't really have that anymore that that variety show where people would just get on on a ticket and do whatever you know little dramatic skits or little comedic skits or little musical skits and all that kind of stuff you know the whole live performance and that's what this book really if you're interested in that sort of stuff that's what this book really sort of invokes is that spirit you know that frontiersman i think the only thing that we have now that mirrors that in a sad way is the internet. That's the only frontier that's left for us that is untapped when you're trying to find new markets and new media is getting on the internet. So, like people do. okay. So uh, essentially before he came along, stand up comedians pretty much just got up and told jokes. They didn't really have a narrative. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, well that that's part of it. Cause he did come up with, in the book, he talks about how he developed a system of doing stand-up where he eliminated punchlines because he realized that there was such a sing-song cadence to stand-up comedi- comedians and their acts that the the people were laughing even though they weren't actually hearing the punchlines of the joke. The punchlines just let them know because he was saying he was listening to these performances where people were laughing even though the, the punchline was inaudible. Like they'd already stepped on the punchline, but they knew it was the punchline, so they knew to laugh. And he sort of developed his act to try to figure out a way to do a comedy act where you had to laugh wherever you thought it was funny because there were no actual punchlines, so it didn't tell you when you could laugh. And that way he he reasoned that wherever people laughed must be where it's actually funny because they're left to their own devices to decide. So it was a new kind of stand-up comedy, but really, you know, when you're talking about vaudeville and stuff like that, there was stand-up comedy. But that it was part of a ticket and part of a show that had all kinds of other kind of acts. But there was never where there were clubs where comedians could perform. You know, there were no comedy clubs. There were no clubs where they booked stand-up acts as a rule. So stand-up comedy didn't really exist. It wasn't just that he was breaking conventions of comedy. It was that stand-up comedy as a performance racket or performance art didn't exist at all. So what an interesting time for him to be writing about trying to become a stand-up comedian. When now, you know, everybody wants to be a stand-up comedian because they think that leads directly to getting a sitcom. That seems to be true. Well, it's true for the success stories. There are a lot of really bad stand-up comedians. And I don't – and there are a lot of really good stand-up comedians that don't get their shot. And there's a lot of really good stand-up comedians that do get their shot, but the the sitcom just doesn't work. Well, sitcoms – as a format doesn't really work. Some of my favorite comedians, like Dimitri Martin, you know – 
he tells really awesome jokes and he does a great stand-up act, but I don't see where he could get a, a stand, you know, a sitcom. It doesn't work. And a lot of people that are great in sitcoms would probably be pretty horrible. Well, because they're not, so they're not the same thing. The I mean, I think, thing. you know, probably good stand-up comedians probably feel pigeonholed by a sitcom format. Yeah. Ma'am. I was watching Comedian, which is a documentary about stand-up comedians that focuses on Jerry mm-hmm. Seinfeld and also focuses on another comedian who is not as well-known. And what I found fascinating about that documentary was it's about how post-Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld decided to, to develop a stand-up comedy act, which you never see. You never see a person cross over out of stand-up comedy and want to continue doing it. And he really did. He decided to throw out all his old material. He decided to develop a whole new act to build up to an hour's worth of material, new material. And he started at the very bottom. And it was so fascinating to see that that sort of journey about how a comedian develops material and how naked it is and how vulnerable it is, even for a person who is established and famous. The, it really it gives you some respect for what stand-up comedy really is as a performance art. And a lot of people, when you see a guy who's got a successful comedy, like a sitcom, you kind of forget that that came from from a, a sitcom, like a stand-up act. Like I used to love Tim Allen's stand-up, and then he had a successful sitcom, which I didn't really like. And I, I love Ray Romano. And he had a successful sitcom, but I don't really like sitcoms, so it doesn't matter if it was funny or not. You know, it didn't really grab me. But all these really funny comedians had what were really successful sitcoms that I didn't find funny. So it's still a, a totally different world. You know, Bill Cosby is sort of the king of all stand-up comedians. And I still have his old records. You know, his, you know, his old stand-up is awesome. But I'm not sure I would say that the Cosby show is awesome comedy. Well, I think you know? he he was probably a master of both. But that's a rare commodity, I think. Uh, and I guess people probably would say that Jerry Seinfeld and Ray Romano are, are, are masters of both genres as well. But but there for those few successes, there's been many, many failures of, of stand-up comedians that have gone to, to sitcoms and... and and I'd say probably vice versa as well, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can think of several <laughs> just off the top of my head. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy, for one, actually, remind, you know, he had, he had his own show, and it died uh, to death. And, well, and, well, here's the thing with stand-up com- comedians, too, is, like, you don't want to. And this is something Ellen DeGeneres said at one point that I thought was fairly brilliant. She said, I don't want to know what makes me funny because then I'll try to do it. And then I won't be funny. And I think that you always find that with gimmick comedians. Like, you know, Tim Allen was like this with his stand-up where he had a gimmick. And Jeff Foxworthy obviously was. You know, these comics get famous for one particular bit. And then that becomes Mm -hmm. their whole act. And then if they get like a sitcom or whatever else, you know, it, it blossoms from that. So they become basically literally one joke hacks. Not because they only have one joke, but because they center on this one joke that everyone liked. You know, like a like a one-hit wonder as a band. And I think that that's kind of sad, but it, it, it's a pretty interesting representation of what happens to them. It's a hard world. It's a hard world doing stand-up comedy, which is sort of cutting edge and then crossing over into a more mainstream sort of medium, which is, you know, sitcoms. Nothing's more mainstream than sitcoms. I had a, I got a joke. Do you guys want to hear a joke? Uh, sure. Do I need to get the rim shot out? Would well, it it's about rim shots. <laughs> Funny you should see. So apparently, this this guy goes to a talent agent, and he says, "I got an act you gotta see. I know this is gonna be a winner." And the talent agent is like, well, you know, i kind of seen a lot. Well, so tell me what's your act. It's like, okay. So I go out on the stage. My wife comes out on the stage. 
And then we sort of do a little thing, a little song, a little dance. And then at the end of the song and the dance, me and my wife, we both squat down. We both take a dump on the stage. Okay. Then, wait, I'm not done yet. After me and my wife take a dump on the stage, our kids come out. They jump down on the stage and wallow in it. Okay. Then they get up. We do a little whatever, and then at the end, we all get in a circle, and we vomit in the middle. And the talent is like, okay. And what exactly would you call an act like that? He says, we call ourselves the aristocrats. See, what I like about your stunned silence is Mm -hmm. that is typical of that joke. (laughs) That was a cleaned up version I did because of our sensitive listeners. There, there's a movie called The Aristocrats that you can rent right now that I, that I watch that is fascinating. That joke in the annals of joke telling is one of the most notorious and infamous of all jokes. And it is really? one of the ones that comedians like to tell the most. Because the middle part of that joke, you get to be as gross as you want. What I told was the clean version, to be honest. Usually the, the joke line has is incest just... and sex and, and all kinds of other nastiness. And it can go much longer. This movie, and Penn Jillette of Penn and Teller was one of the guys who made this movie. It is actually fascinating. Because he goes through like over 100 comedians and asks them all, what their version of this joke is or what versions of the joke they heard or what they like. And, you know, they all go into it and it's sort of like this oral tradition of comedians to tell that joke. Almost to the point where the joke itself is irrelevant because the point of the joke is that the punchline doesn't matter. It's the part, it's the journey that gets you to the punchline. The fact that it's anticlimactic at the punchline is sort of the point. So if you laugh at that joke, then they failed. Well, no, I think you. Sh- but it's almost like the. You know, if you watch the movie too, there's a there's a famous moment where Gilbert Gottfried actually tells it at Hugh Hefner's roast, and people are falling down on the floor the way he's telling it. The point is though that you're supposed to make them laugh at how shocking the middle part is. But you watch the movie if you get a chance, or if you get Netflix or whatever. There's this this rumor that Chevy Chase actually had a secret society of comedians that would just get together and tell the joke, their own version. And the idea was the the longer you could draw it out, the better. <laughs> <laughs> the goal was to get it to like you know an hour, hour and a half Lord. of just embellishing on that middle part. To the point where the, the the punchline is so far gone from the point, it doesn't matter. But it's a fun movie to watch because it it's about comedians having fun, and it 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 kind of it, it's kind of refreshing to see them all just laughing and having a good time. You know, you really appreciate the craft of comedy watching this movie because they're all just talking about this silly nothing kind of stupid blue joke, but in the way they tell it and share it with each other. You can see how that there's a sort of fraternity, and I don't mean fraternity as in you know male only, but you know there's a sort of bond of comedians, where and it, it, it's sort of like that people who enjoy the art of comedy have shared this joke with each other, uh, you know, as sort of a gag, as sort of a goof, to but it's helped them practice their skill. It's a- there's actually well, a version of this joke at the beginning that I want to put at the beginning of this episode <laughs> that that is actually fully clean, <laughs> but it's a reversal. Well, that's actually kind of fascinating because that's, that's one thing that's always intrigued me about comedians. The comedians are lovers of, of words and descriptions. That's, uh, when, you, when you hear them mm-hmm. being interviewed, I, I, matter of fact, I, I, I remember hearing an interview about George Carlin or, or by you know, George Carlin being interviewed, and he just talked... Oh, he's he, on the aristocrats and, and movie. And he just talks about, you know, oh, yes. how he just cherishes words. I mean, he's just a, he's just a, you know, lover of, of putting together words and phrases and, and and you know, even 
not so much even for comedic comedic effect. Just you know, he just likes to craft, you know, sentences, and and that to me is probably is the mark of a great comedian. I, I think it's just like somebody mm-hmm. who really just oh, cherishes yeah. the, the the development, you know, of of words to to make you laugh, to make you think, to make you cry, whatever, you know. And, and of course, Steve Martin is probably the master of that, and. You know, and, that, and not just for his comedy. Oh, he's you know, he just, is I mean, brilliant. His, his drama as well. You know, and uh, you know the movies he's done. Um, well, I think the that a comedian and comedians commonly believe this to be true as well. But comedians understand comedy so well because they've so often seen the opposite. You know, I think comedians do tap into human nature. And I think the heart of a great comedian is true wit, which is just the use of language, the beauty of language, but to make people laugh. I don't know why we think of comedy as so low, because comedy is actually very difficult to achieve, real comedy. I just saw an ad for that movie, Valkyrie. Have you seen that? The Tom Cruise movie? I think it's it's about time people made a movie about how the Nazis weren't so bad. That it was Is just Hitler who on, had them all steered in the wrong direction, but they were pretty good otherwise. Is that yeah. based on a true story? Yeah. Because I know that there were assassination attempts. Apparently the- Operation Valkyrie or whatever was real, but I refuse to believe it's because all of the Nazis besides Hitler were, were pretty decent well, no, folk. No, of course I mean, not. No. <laughs> Which is what the movie seems to be <laughs> suggesting to me. Oh, yeah, if not for Hitler, the Nazis would have been <laughs> awesome. So what's what's uh, before we get... What, what uh, hit me with a joke since we're talking comedy? You guys got right, jokes I'll, you like? Brooks I'll tell you my joke. favorite joke. This is this is um this is a long one, so get ready. A man walks into a bar and says, "Ouch." That's a good one. That's my favorite joke. I like the one where two men walk into a bar <laughs> because you know the first one should have warned the second. Yeah, didn't didn't he see the first <laughs> guy bumping ridiculous. into? Ridiculous! I don't even buy the premise of that joke. I like those kind of jokes because it every joke starts with something ridiculous, like you know, two nuns and a rabbi walk into a bar. I like when you you just turn it into something obvious. Like <laughs> what is it? it was like a, it's like a a nun, a watermelon, and a bloody toothpick walk into a bar, and the bartender says, "Man, this is the weirdest joke I've ever been in." Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bloody toothpick, jeez, you don't hear that in too many jokes. Uh, oh, it's like a, a family a guy where a, a priest and a rabbi are walking into a bar together and like, hey, did you hear that one about us? <laughs> <laughs> See, I like those. The Oh, man, a guy walks into a bar with a duck on his head. The bartender says, can I help you? The duck says, yeah, get this guy off my ass. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing a very good job of being the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you got it really- <laughs> I have to go back and edit in a bunch of laughs. <laughs> bar jokes are the best. There's tons of bar jokes. What a great premise. I guess because funny funny jokes are told in bars. Well, that's partly true. I've, I've never told I a joke in a bar. That. Have you told a joke in a bar? I have, actually. I ran really? into a guy who was supposedly was he homeless, a, priest or a, a rabbi? famous homeless guy here in Savannah named Old Bob. And that's one of the things he loves to do. I sat down and talked to him for a long time, sharing bad jokes back and forth. And that was the whole thing. And it was it was so awesome. And then, you know, we we shared actual real stories. And and we kind of got on the subject of how jokes are sort of like the last lingering element of real oral storytelling in America, you know. Because he was telling me like the, the myth of Cuchulain and all this like serious stuff, you know, and you don't you never have people tell you stories anymore. But you do, do still have people Well, we try. And I think people who were creative try to retain that. And that's why we were talking about with the comedians who are all trying to tell the worst version or the best version of the aristocrats back and forth. Is it, it's oral storytelling. But what we were saying was the last version of oral st- storytelling that is still sort of embraced by the mainstream is joke telling. People do still tell jokes. It's jokes and anecdotes. Like no one carries any other kind of stories like through that tradition. 
So it has to be either a joke or something that you can say happened to you. And we found that fascinating. You you may may not. Well, I guess if there's no, <laughs> I'm pondering it. I'm pondering a, the point. Uh, a laugh I'm, at I'm the end it. of the story. They they don't want to take the time. Well, well I, I guess mean, that's why people is, work it, their their stories into jokes nowadays. So yeah. well, a joke is the only kind of story that people tell in public that is still accepted. Like if you started yeah. telling people a story in public, they would think that's kind of weird unless it was your story. A joke is the well, only kind of then, third I, person narrative you can still well, even tell. Even then, I think you know. I, I've noticed that, like, when I get off and tell a personal story, like a, a, in a party or something like that, I can tell people zoning out. I think people think you're pretentious if you start telling stories. Well, it's probably because your story is well, boring. But you know, what you should t- do is tell them my stories, but pretend it happened to you. <laughs> That's what give, I do. give that a try. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, there was this time I was playing with my dolls. <laughs> but I tell you, man, there's nothing more awkward than telling a joke and about halfway through it you realize that it's not funny and no one else thinks it's funny. Not only is so you have to finish it. Man, what I run into out? all the time is telling the joke and people weren't listening and you realize it wasn't funny, but then they want you to repeat it and you've already decided it's not funny. I'm like, man, don't make me say it again, because not only will the timing be off, but I already realized it doesn't work. Because <laughs> really, I really do try out material on people at work, because it's fun. And you're, like, you're telling jokes and whatever, and it's real difficult because people will interrupt you in the middle of a punchline, because they don't know you're in a punchline, because they think you're just doing work. Like, look, you're ruining the bit. Just hold up. <laughs> This is going to be and money. I wonder why they won't give you more authority. <laughs> exactly. They're like, like, well, maybe if you spent less time trying to cultivate a comedy act at work, Sean. What, what is that about? Look, if I see something funny, I'm going to run with it. Because at the end of the day, you know, who cares what kind of interface you develop? Nobody. But everybody laughs. Right? Soul planes on. Laughter is good for your health. Not on this show, but you know, <laughs> know. normal. I'm just doing that to you on purpose. Straight man works, man. I, I've learned something through my studies, and it's this: the Smothers Brothers were very funny. You know, Steve Martin used to write for oh, the yeah. Smothers Brothers, and they were apparently very, you know, politically incorrect for their day. They were apparently very controversial. And watching them, you know, they were on the aristocrats thing too, but if you watch some old Smothers Brothers, they have a really good straight man, funny man dynamic. You don't see comedy duos very much anymore. Everyone's trying to be cool. Nobody wants to be the straight man. But those comedy duos were really funny. Can you think of any? Of comedy duos? Except Penn and Teller? Modern. You mean modern ones? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. I can't think of any. It's sad, but it's true. Yeah, really? I mean, of course, you know, back in the old days, you had like Martin and Lewis. Maybe, maybe if you... Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Martin Lewis, Abbott Costello, some others brothers I just mentioned. You know, there were a lot of great comedy duos. But you don't see any now. that's what you need to bring back. You need to get a partner. (laughs) Well, I'm... Yeah, I'm not sure where I would find my partner. My my comedy seems to only impress me at this point. Just keep hitting the bars until you find someone else. What I do is do my act until I find a heckler. And I'm like, finally, someone I can soundboard material on. (laughs) Because my head hit the bar. Uh, if you have to explain the joke, it's not so, funny. My favorite thing to so do. This, well, what's funny is, and I do believe this is true, and I'll point out a movie. We talked about Joe Dirt. I do believe if if a punchline doesn't work, stay with it. Yeah, like, exactly. If you continue to decompose why you think it's funny, it becomes funny. Because you see, because I, I hit my head, exactly it's ridiculous to, to hit your head on a bar. <laughs> There's some truth to that in See, comedy. What you're not getting is we're funny. We're funny. 
Me and Brooks have See, actually said that to someone. <laughs> yeah. you, you're just you're not understanding. And in earnest, like we're funny. You're, you're not getting that we're funny. Maybe that's why you're not laughing. You think we're trying to be serious or something? But listen, really, we're a comedy act. That's the best thing that you can do. I agree. I mean, if you tell a joke and don't get a laugh, there's nothing to lose at that point. Really, right it out. Ground level. Riding a wave that has already died doesn't hurt anything. I think a lot of comedians do probably subscribe to that. I mean, but you know, and they, while they don't look for silence, you know. When they get silent, they, they work have, it, you know. And I got Bill an episode that I want thing. us to work on where we do, where we talk about hecklers and how how comedians deal with them. That's a whole separate issue. But I really think that's everything to do with how you know how to roll with what's going on and what's going wrong. Nothing is worse than a heckler when you're on stage. So those hecklers that can do – but that literally – those comedians that can deal with that, that's a whole different episode. Bill Maher always does this fun thing on his show when he's doing the open monologue. He'll tell a joke, and if no one really laughs, he'll, he'll just repeat the punchline. <laughs> that's a good one. He like, because the bar and pe- said, ouch. And no one likes like, and said, ouch. <laughs> just keeps repeating it until people laugh. It does become funny, too. It works. Because it's not the material, it's the delivery. Yeah, exactly. Here's a joke. Guy's on the beach. He finds, you know, he finds a, a lamp with a genie in it. Genie says, "I'll give you one wish." The guy's like, "Okay, well, I want, I want a bridge from here to Hawaii." Genie's like, "Man, you know how hard that's going to be. That's a huge architectural enterprise. I mean, I'm actually going to have to build a causeway over the ocean. There's going to be pylons going to the floor and all this kind of stuff just to get you from this beach to Hawaii. You can get to Hawaii anyway. Come on, man. Seriously, you know, don't do that to me. I've been asleep for ten thousand years. Just give me, give me something, something simple, something else." Guy's like, "Okay, well, I want to know how women think." Genie thinks about it for a second. He says, do you want that to be a two-lane or a four-lane? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell what women it's think. it's easier. It's funny because it's true. It's funny because it's true. Women think crazy. Tell me another joke. You got to oh, yeah. have another joke. Come on. Let's bring some. We said we we're going to do jokes and you got nothing. Bring me something. Uh, the guy that walks in a bar is the only joke there is. No, it's like I'm drawing. I'm drawing a blank now. Okay, a duck walks into a bar. He goes to the bartender and he says, "You got any grapes?" The bartender's like, "No, there's a bar. We don't have any grapes." The duck leaves. The duck comes back the next day. He says, "Hey, bartender, you got any grapes?" The bartender's like, "No, we don't eat grapes. It's a bar. Come on, man." The duck leaves. Duck comes back on the third day, says, you got any grapes? Bartender's like, look, man, I told you twice already, we don't have grapes. This is a bar. You want a drink? We got drinks. But we don't have grapes. You ask me for grapes one more time, I'm going to nail your bill to the bar. Okay, he leaves. He comes back the fourth day. Duck says, you got any nails? Bartender says, no, we don't have nails. Oh, you got any grapes? <laughs> There's so many variations of the same basic. Yeah, I can remember. I can remember one joke. I can remember are. one joke, and it's so stupid. But tell it. Why does it get warmer in a baseball park after the fans leave? So I'll say, I screwed it up. Crap. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even I, know I what the joke understand. was supposed to be. <laughs> Why does it get? I'm laughing though, so maybe it worked. <laughs> So every joke Greg tells should be like that. Why does God screw it up? Oh, <laughs> all start laughing. I suck. <laughs> just, just leave the stage. Oh, damn it. Okay, an old man's walking through the woods. He finds a frog. He picks up the frog. The frog says, I'm a talking frog. But, you know, if you kiss me, I'll turn into a princess. The old man's like, oh, okay. And then he takes the frog and he just keeps walking. You know, after they walk a while, the frog's like, well, don't you want to kiss me? The old man's like, well, you know, at my age, the talking frog is more interesting. It's like those kind of jokes where it's like, uh, you know, a duck walks into a store and asks for some chapstick, and the cashier says, uh, that'll be a dollar fifty or whatever. And he says, put it on my bill. <laughs> uh, I mean, who would really laugh at that, though? Jokes, thankfully, have gotten more sophisticated. Well, what's the difference between be. an elephant and a prune? Oh. That's, there's so many differences. There's, it's hard to narrow it down. They're both purple except for the elephant. Ah. 
We put that one on our show, didn't what we? What did Tarzan say when he saw the elephant stampeding? He said, Look here come the, the prunes! Because he, <laughs> yeah. he was colorblind. He was colorblind. Colorblind. So the, doc, the guy goes to the doctor. He says, doctor, I don't know what's wrong with me, but it hurts when I hear, when I touch here, it hurts when I touch here, it hurts when I touch here, and it hurts when I touch here. The doctor says, well, your finger's broken. <laughs> <laughs> that's an awesome joke because it works on the radio you can tell he's poking himself yeah <laughs> that's a good joke that's a good bad joke man people just don't understand <laughs> the awesomeness of bad jokes everyone loves bad jokes I appreciate this thing on. <laughs> don't they make everyone feel happy I love bad jokes. Guy goes to the, the psychiatrist. He says, Doc, uh, you got to help me. I think I'm getting paranoid. After a while, the doctor reviews the case. He comes back and says, I got good news and I got bad news. He says, well, what's the good news? He says, the good news is you're, par- you're not paranoid. He says, what's the bad news? Says, Everyone's out to get you. <laughs> Why are dogs such bad dancers? Because they have two left feet. Oh, are you, are you on the Laffy Taffy website? <laughs> I don't like the ones where you ask a question like that because in the well, that's say, the simplest form of a joke. It's like, aren't you glad I didn't say banana or whatever? You know, it you always a, puts the recipient in an awkward position where they're like, am I supposed to give an answer or am I just supposed to stare at them? I know. Am I supposed flavor? to play along with this bull crap? I'm sorry. How many feminists does it take to change a light bulb? How many? Five. Five. Why five? Well, it's a decent guess. <laughs> it's not real. It's a friggin' joke. Well, that's why I don't like question ones, because it's like, are we supposed to respond? You're supposed to say, I don't know. How many does it take? That's a joke response. The answer is two. I don't know. How many? Five? Oh. <laughs> no! Two! One of them to actually change the the light, the other one to discuss the penetration of the socket. <laughs> I don't think that's how that joke. We ruined goes. it completely. Anyway, I think it was violation of the socket, where the old man finds a frog in the woods uh, as an alternate punchline. Instead of saying, "At my age, a talking frog is more interesting," you can just say, "I'd rather f- a frog." <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> Sorry, I have to bleep that. But it's a funny punchline. Remember the one that Melissa likes? What's um, green and smells like pork? I know that one. Yeah. It's Kermit's yeah, finger. It's unfortunate. Oh, we, we, we should. Oh, yeah, we should. that's. Oh. <laughs> you brought the Muppets right down after the to Muppets your episode, level. too. Right after the Muppets episode. Oh, it's wrong. Okay, this guy goes into a bar. The bar is at the top of a building. He goes and sits with this guy. The guy's like, man, I got something to tell you. This bar is awesome. Something about the, the air, the airflow that comes up here because we're at the very top of the building. You could totally jump off the edge of the, the bar and you'd float right back up. He says, that's not, make any, that's not true. That doesn't make any sense. He's like, oh, I'll prove it to you. And he goes over and he jumps off the edge of the building, floats right back up to the edge. The guy's like, oh, I can't believe that. That's amazing. It's like, well, it's true. I'm telling you, it's 100% safe. You want to watch me do it again? He goes up and jumps off. Whoosh, flows back up again. It's like, see? It's like, it's like, well, man, I can't believe it. It's like, well, now you try it. You've seen me do it twice. Guy goes over. He jumps off the edge of the building, falls all the way down to the street and dies. People are watching this from the bar. The bartender comes over and goes, yeah, you know, Superman's normally an all right guy, but he's an asshole when he's drunk. This is interesting. What makes that funny is the girl that told us that joke originally said, have you heard my Superman joke? (laughs) It ruins the joke. That's what I love. Joke telling is such a beautiful art. Have you heard my Superman joke? Have you heard the aristocrats joke? Just That's awesome. Okay. This is on Wikipedia. There's an entry for world's funniest joke. Have you seen this? No. I remember hearing about this. There's a guy at the University of Hertfordshire, whatever, who uh, did a study trying to determine what the world's funniest joke is. And he had over 10,000 jokes that people submitted. And I guess they did some kind of research where they they voted or whatever. It's, it's real complicated what he did. 
But the winning joke, uh, which has been attributed to Spike Milligan and it's submitted by some other guy, Manchester. Wait, am I going to die? If I, I haven't read this joke yet. I, I don't know. I don't think this we'll is see. like it's that probably, Twilight Zone. Probably not even funny. But this is the joke that <laughs> With this big buildup, we should do like like some kind of horns fanfare building into it. <laughs> World's funniest joke! <laughs> Two hunters are out in the woods when one of them collapses. He doesn't seem to be breathing and his eyes are glazed. The other guy whips out his phone and calls emergency services. He gasps, My friend is dead. What can I do? The operator says, Calm down. I can help. First, let's make sure he's dead. There is a silence. Then a shot is heard. Back on the phone, the guy says, Okay, now what? That's the whole joke. <laughs> That's the world's funniest joke. <laughs> well, I guess after a minute, you're like, Wait a minute. That was the punchline, right? That's awesome. The second place finisher and early leader was this joke. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were going camping. They pitched their tent under the stars and went to sleep. Sometime in the middle of the night, Holmes woke Watson up and said, Watson, look up at the stars and tell me, what do you see? Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. Holmes said, and what do you deduce from that? Watson replied, well, if there are millions of stars, and even if a few of those have planets... It's quite likely that there are some planets like Earth out there. And if there are a few planets like Earth out there, they might also have life. And Holmes said, Watson, you idiot, it means that someone stole our tent. <laughs> mm. Uh, mm. Man, this is, oh. man, Wikipedia is not making good showing for the joke teller. Oh, this is that for, last, uh, this is no, for. Well, that first one was pretty good with the shot where you hear the shot and then go, now what? That's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is the top joke for Australia. All right, Lynn, you, you chime in on this one. I can't do it in an Australian accent. Please so forgive don't. Me. Yeah. I'll just use mine. <laughs> a woman rushed to see her doctor, looking very much worried and all strung out. She rattles off, Doctor, take a look at me. When I woke up this morning, I looked at myself in a mirror and saw my hair all wiry and frazzled up. My skin was all wrinkled and pasty. My eyes were bloodshot and bugging out, and I had this corpse-like look on my face. What is wrong with me, doctor? The doctor looks her over for a couple of minutes and calmly says, well, I can tell you that there ain't nothing wrong with your eyesight. Can you imagine like a doctor telling you that? Though? Shut up. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, I, I will, I'll give you an update on this because I just went on Amazon and bought Groucho Marx's memoir. <laughs> I'm reading the one that was the top joke in the He's, UK. This is the best been, one of the group. We flatline through everything. Then I start telling a story. He starts laughing. You found the one joke that's funny. Well, like, All right, what's the joke? What's the joke? I'm sorry. Please. This is the top joke in the UK. A woman gets on a bus with her baby. The bus driver says, that is the ugliest baby I've ever seen. Ugh. The woman goes to the rear of the bus and sits down, fuming. She says to the man next to her, that driver just insulted me. The man says, you go right up there and tell him off. Go ahead. I'll hold your monkey for you. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. That's good. Hold I don't know how they monkey. figured these are the funniest jokes in the world. Though. Man, these are not the funniest no, jokes not. in the that's world. That's pretty good, I'd say. I'm, I'm remembering a lot of blonde good. jokes now. I do have a lot of blonde jokes. Blonde jokes are funny. Yeah. Jokes seem to blossom when they when they're about a certain group oh, yeah. of people. What do you do when a blonde throws a grenade at you? Mm. You pull the pin and throw it back. Oh. Because they're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> people they're with blonde dumb. colored hair are dumb. My favorite. They're dumb. My favorite blonde joke though is this one. Okay, a blonde, two blondes were walking in the woods. Okay, and they come up on some tracks. Well, one blonde. So they thought it was deer tracks, and the other one said that she thought it was that they were bear tracks. Oh, they were both arguing when the train hit them. Oh, what is the joke? Now, there, there's a joke where, like, the the smartest man in the world and the most religious man in the world and the most adventurous man in the world are all in a plane, and the plane's starting to crash, but there's only two parachutes, and so. The first man, I don't even remember what man I just said we're on. The, the smartest, the most religious, and the most adventurous. <laughs> All right. 
So the most religious I man. I admire your gusto. Yeah. The, the, it turns out there's only two parachutes on the plane for whatever reason. Smartest man in the world says, you know, gentlemen, I got I to gotta survive because I'm the smartest man in the world. So good luck figuring out who gets the other shoot. And he jumps out of the plane. So the most religious man in the world turns to the most adventurous. He's like, well, you know, I've lived a full life and then I'm right with God and I don't mind. You know, whatever happens, happens. You take the last parachute and you survive. And the adventurous man says, well, don't you worry. There's parachutes for both of us because the smartest man just jumped out with my backpack. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure there's a better delivery for that joke. I barely remember it. <laughs> but as I recall, it was kind of funny. <laughs> this is going to be a fine example. I'm, I'm in trying our to show, help. So. <laughs> This is a good episode for us to solicit jokes from the listeners because I'm sure this is a good joke. I would I would dearly love that because you know what I love more than anything else and I'm not kidding. Bad jokes. I think bad jokes bring people together. It's I the really glue do. It holds the world together. So I'm not I'm not trying real hard. I'll admit that world because I don't think I have to because I think everybody gets bad jokes. I love them. So I would definitely say that if you are out there listening and you're thoroughly embarrassed by how unfunny these jokes are, then step up. <laughs> you're Send not us alone. Your jokes. We feel the same. Hey, jokes are hard. You know, anybody can be funny in conversation, but jokes are, are a difficult process to deliver. It takes I love practice. Jokes. It does. And, and you know, I'm out of, I haven't told a joke in so long i can't even remember how to do it i think we need to try harder because i think i really do believe with old bob back in back at the rail that there's there's something to jokes that's important as an oral storytelling vessel we need to we need to keep hold of that because we don't we don't share stories like we used to jokes are one of the few ways that we do the other way is gossip and i don't like gossip but I like the idea of sharing a mythology with people. Jokes do that. You know, bad jokes too. But, you know, it's it's fun when you can like develop your wit, and I encourage that as well, and, and try to make people laugh. But I think we should still hold on to jokes because it's still a form of storytelling. And I, and, I, and I encourage that. I do too. I just wish I could remember them. I can never remember them when I need them. Well, I'll tell you what. You know what we should do as a feature? We should do a joke every episode. We could totally do that. Deviate my dinner. Buy some that that way, it'll give me, because I remember jokes that I can't remember right yeah, now. Yeah, I wrote down a, a brief list, and we already went through them. And I know these aren't all my favorite jokes. These are just the ones that I remembered. But you got to help so. us out here, world. You got to know jokes. This is something we could do every episode. And it'd be a great deal of fun. And we'll, if you send us a good one, we'll use it as our joke of the episode, and we'll, we'll give you credit and everything. And I don't like dirty jokes as much because they're too easy. But I yeah, don't mind bad we, jokes. It, it doesn't, it's a family It can show. be stupid. That's not a problem. In fact, the stupid jokes have more charm. <laughs> so definitely write us We're in. We're all about stupid some, here. TV my dinner. <laughs> yeah, that stupid humor definitely is not outside our reach. We're not pretending to be sophisticates. at tv8mydinner.com. Feedback at tv8mydinner.com is, is where you can send us your jokes. That's true. And that's something to look forward to. We're going to do that, I've decided. A joke of the, a joke joke of of the, the week. week. It'd be better than movies from the vault. That's easy. Remembering movies is hard. And all week long. Remembering jokes is uh, easy. Uh, not for me. I would have thought so, but I can't think of any right now. When you put, you, when you well, none of the, the pressure's the spot, there. Like, yeah. Tell a joke. Yeah, it's like it's hard Every, to do. Tell everybody thinks they're funny until they get on a stage with a microphone and a spotlight. I know. If people are waiting for a joke and, and they, they want to laugh, that's that's yeah, tough. Get out there. Step up, world. Help us out. Everybody's got jokes. And they're all funny, you know, even dumb jokes are funny because then you laugh because you shared something dumb. It's I've never heard where unless a joke was mean spirited towards people or certain people or certain types of people. I never heard where jokes didn't make people happier. So as long as your joke is lighthearted and not mean spirited, you know, send it in. I will enjoy it. People love jokes. 
<laughs> all right then. <laughs> I guess that's all we have to offer. I'm glad we had this talk. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things to end a that's, conversation. Our friend with. Errol used to do that, and I do still use this to this day. Where if the conversation dies, he would just say. I'm glad we had this talk and then hang up or whatever. It is a really great conversation ender. And I do actually still use it. And it still gets a laugh. So kudos to him. I will talk with you guys next week. All right, then. I'm glad we had this talk. My name is Brooke. I'm glad we had this talk. I'm Sean. Greg. (laughs) Dog Freezer. Dog Car. Good evening, ladies and germs. All right. I just flew in from Albuquerque, and boy, are my arms tired. But seriously, take my wife, please. My name's Brooks. I'll be here all week.